Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Juila. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 102. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity. A Gift from Adversity's subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And if you go on Amazon, you can search A Gift from Adversity by Julie Love. After I published this book in 2020, I got some messages from all over the world expressing their adversities since I shared my story. Last year, I felt very compelled to start a platform where people can come in and talk about their adversities, but not only that, tools that they use to overcome and the gift that came from it. And I'm very excited to share 102 episode that I am very proud that a lot of guests bravely came to this show and shared their story. So let's invite our guest tonight. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for coming to A Gift from Adversity podcast today. Oh, can you unmute yourself? Sorry about that. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, Corey, can you tell your name and where you're coming in from and also what you do and if you have any social media or website that you want to promote? Yeah, my name is Corey Finney. Um, I'm originally from Brockton, Massachusetts. I reside right now in Rhode Island. Um, what was uh, and what do you do for work? And uh, do you have any social media that you want to promote or anything? Sales manager for the world's largest indoor racetrack in the world. Um, I sell events to corporate and high profile clientele. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, you can look me up on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. Facebook, TikTok, it's all will be under Corey Finney or Corespire. Uh, it's very easy to find me. I'm Googleable. Perfect. So, Corey, before we start your story, I just want to touch base with how we met through Love mm-hmm. Life Now Foundation. And then I am wearing a very special clothes for you and for the Love. Life Now Foundation. So can you explain to our audience what we did together for the event that I got disclosed? Yes. So um, for Love Life Now, actually, I'm like the one of the few people that actually walked in uh, in my truth. And it's uh, we, we model uh, for those in uh, those survivors of domestic violence. Um, I've been a big part of uh, Love Life Now Foundation for a while. Love Laverne. She's the founder of it. Um, thankful every year that I get asked back to uh, walk in the uh, runway and join in uh, any other stuff that they have going on. 
Uh, and then I met Jory. She was sitting down at my table. And uh, that night, they wanted to move me to a different table. And I'm glad that they didn't because I met some amazing people that night. And uh, Jory is one of them. So I'm very thankful for that. Thank you. And just to let our audience know that fashion show event was a fundraiser that Lovan Gordon put together, Love Life Now Foundation put together, and they gave me this wonderful dress that I get to keep. And um, I was so proud because as a domestic violence survivor myself, I've never met a bunch of survivors at the same time, same night. And then we all walk for the fashion show and the amount of support that we received was amazing. And I've heard that we raised uh, $7,500 to support other domestic violence victims. So I was very, very proud to be part of it. Yeah, no, I'm very proud of um, being part of it too. And starting the conversation for men, it's it's a it's a big deal um, because a lot of men don't don't tell their stories. You know, they know their truth. They don't tell their stories. And I open that conversation up when they see me uh, in that or they see me on social media and stuff like that. Even days and months afterwards, people will come up to me and ask me questions and stuff. So I'm very thankful for her foundation. Absolutely. And what she offers. And then the website is lovelifenow.org. So if anyone's going through some domestic violence crisis, you can visit their website and there's a hotline so they can reach out as well. So let's dive into the first question that I have, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? Well, at like 15 years old, I um, got molested. A lot of um, people don't know that. A lot of people actually, a lot of like friends and family members actually don't know uh, what happened because I never really talked about it too much um, to them. But the person that uh, did it's in jail, still in jail to this day, not for that though, for something else, so, something to do with that though. Um, my life really started at like 15 years old. I was kind of on my own at like 16, 15. Uh, and I had a lot of struggles in my life that I had to overcome. Always losing hope. And um, never, I always knew I was going to be okay, though. I did. I always knew that. People always ask me, like, how did you know? I just knew that I couched surf for years. I couched surf for years. I was homeless for a while. Um, and I'm proud of myself because I made it through it. No, never knowing how I was going to get there. I always wanted more. and uh, And I was always stuck. So I needed to figure out, like, how was I going to get to that next level? Like, I wanted what other people had, you know, and um, and being, like, abused and going through, like, some of the stuff that I went through, uh, it breaks you down, you know, especially as a guy, it breaks you down. And it was just a very challenging part of my life, you know, that I never wanted to, um, I never wanted to, like, push it away or, like, forget it. I compressed it for some time, but I always want to keep it alive because I always knew someday my story might be able to help one person or, you know, some people, whatever. Uh, and that's probably why I didn't share it with many people uh, across my journey. And those who did know about it were very close to me. Um, you know, but I suffered from depression, anxiety, you know, all the things that come with it. Um, and then, you know, just 
you know, always wanting the house and always wanting all that stuff or whatever. You kind of put all that stuff in the back burner because you have to deal with all that stuff that you went through, all that crap that you went through that you didn't ask for. You have to, I had to like, you know, work on my self-corrections first before I could work on anything else in my life. You know, I was shy. So I ended up taking acting classes uh, in East Bridgewater to overcome that. So I knew the tools that I, I needed to do at a young age. I knew what I had to do to uh, get through all of the, the damage that was done. You know, uh, even my home life at the time, too, wasn't that great. Um, I won't go into too much detail about it, but I had to go through a lot of stuff in my home life as well, uh, which was which was very hard for me, very hard for my sisters. Um and stuff, but like I said, I'm very like proud of myself for making it through uh, all the stuff that I, I was able to go through. Because now, like I look at myself now, and I'm like a sales manager of a big company. Um, anything I dreamed of or hoped for, I made come true. Uh, so I always tell people like, don't ever, don't ever give up hope, and that's a true statement. You know, I always held on to that because I always knew that you know couch surfing, being homeless, all that stuff I went through was only temporary. I knew someday that, you know, I knew I knew then that I needed just a roof and food, a roof of my head and food. Everything else was a luxury, like a car. My friends were going out to clubs and stuff like that in the 20s. Like I did go out, but I didn't go out as much as everyone else did, nor did I regret it either. I just knew that I needed to pay that rent. I was on my own at a very young age, paying rent and working a few jobs and, keeping face really. I joined a gym just to take showers, you know, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I couldn't afford a lot then. I think that's why I give back so much too. And uh, it's, a, it's big for me. I like to give back and I help others when I can. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be about money, you know, sometimes it's just services. Or maybe the person just needs a hug. You know, you never know what someone's going through. Uh, I always tell people, like, you just, you never know what people are going through. Just like if you're on the highway and, like, someone's beeping and, like, you know, and, and stressing you out or whatever, you don't know what that person's going through. So just pull over, let them go, let them fly. Um, you know, but I just, I just been through so much in my life and, uh, and I made it through. I made it. You know, I can say actually say now, uh, 45, you know, I made it. I made it. You know, but I actually started seeing the results at like 25. You know, when I started really, you know, I got a good job. I started doing my foundation work and I built the foundation up. And now I, I work with some, you know, pretty powerful people. Um, I do consulting for companies too. And I have a full-time job for a big company and I rent them. So um, let's dive into adversity part a little bit more than the tools, which we want to talk about it a little bit later. So you mentioned at 15 years old, you got molested and then you were sexually abused. How... Um, I know you said you mentioned that person is in jail. And what happened? I think I can mention like who it is. I can mention who it is. I mean, 
it was it was very public. Um, so there is a book out on it that the family wrote about it and stuff like that. Um, the person that, that did it actually, he he killed this boy called Jeffrey Curley. The story just touched my heart so much because it it's just so painful because he was a little boy on a bike in Cambridge and this guy Charlie uh, like kidnapped him and like put him kind of up put him in a box brought him to Maine. I mean, you can Google the story. There's um, a book out. It's called um, My Last Ride that his brothers and family wrote. Um, and I read it and I remember reading like the first few pages and I barely cry at wakes, honestly. And I was in tears because I I could feel like that pain of what that kid was going through because that could have been me. Really, it could have been me, you know, because I was actually one of his victims. But really, I was probably like the the practice or whatever. And my friends, I had several good friends growing up, and they were all less by the same person. So um, when I found out about that story, uh, it just touched my heart because I, I knew that, you know, he, that little boy was probably trying to get away. And he was younger. He was like 12, I think, or maybe even 10, 12 or something like that. Um and just thinking he didn't, he had his whole life to live and he didn't even have a chance. And he, they, that, and that guy took away from his family, you know, his family was, it ended up broken over this. And I think they even had a divorce and stuff like that, if I, I read correctly, but they still stayed together, you know, to keep him in jail. And the end result was he, the person that did it only got 20 years. And the person, because of the way the court system is so broken, the person that was actually with him ended up getting life in jail. And the, he was the one who didn't do it, didn't uh, assist, I guess. He was just in for the ride or something. Uh, and I'm thinking way back, it was like 94, I think this happened. Um, but they, they were able to keep him in jail. He's already done his 20 years. As uh, long as the family shows up in court, I guess, every so many years, you know, they just keep him there. So uh, luckily he's off the street and wasn't able to do this to anybody else because it did cause me a lot of damage uh, with my sexuality. I didn't know, you know, if I was straight, gay, bi, I didn't know any of that. I had to explore all different, all different things because it made me so confused and at 15 years old, 16 years old, that's like, that's uh, not that like, first off, people like you think, well, how do you even get lost at that age? Well, it's very easy. You know, when you have someone with a car driving around, I was like younger than 16. I didn't even have a permit yet to let anything. I was probably like 14. You know, driving around, sneaking out of the house, taking us to Wayloose of Boston, uh, getting us drinks there and stuff like that. And all that was was like, I think back, it was like the grooming period. He was like grooming us because it was me and my friends and like I we didn't even know that uh individually all of us were actually getting molested by this person and um until we actually talked about it one day we were out at a bar and it just got brought up and then we end up like crying and talking and laughing and just like and just and the laughing part was like, we finally like released it all, not knowing that it all it happened to all our friends. It was all, all of us. And um, it was tough, 
you know, and my parents weren't watching me that well, obviously, I was sneaking out of my house off of my balcony and stuff, you know, into this this person's car that I thought, like, he was a neighbor, and he didn't live far, he was from the same town or like that, you know, someone that I trusted, you know, my parents did know, um, you know, whether they trust them or not, I'm not sure now, I don't think that, obviously, now they, they wouldn't, Um but it was tough. It was like, a, it was a tough road. It was tough because I, I ended up like, you know, I just ended up being, you know, rebellious, you know, um, I was turning into a bad seed, you know, and I started off with a really good soul and I'm very happy that I ended up refining myself, you know, and realizing like the people you hang around with, the places you go and the things you do mean something to people, places, and things. And when I learned those three twos, that helped me a lot. But I had it took me a long time to find way. I moved to Florida for a little bit. I was like all over the place. Like I said, couch surfing and taunting and in from Brockton originally, you know, and lived in the apartment on the worst side of Brockton at like some point, stuff like that. And my friend's mom was like making me food and bring it to me. Like I don't forget the people that helped me across the way. Uh, I never forget that because I was broken. I was sad. I was depressed. I had anxiety. I didn't know what any of this stuff was back then either. Um, you know, the, the, no one gave me a magic pill, you know, say, oh, just stick your anxiety away and like that. I'm not on anything. Um, but back then I could have probably used something, you know, um, but I didn't have any of that. I didn't have anywhere really to go to. I had friends. They're all my age, like good friends, you know. So they would give those 16-year-old advice, you know, 14-year-old advice. You know, you only know what you know at that age. Um, but I'm thankful. I am thankful every day. And every day I do say that. I'm thankful for everything. Um, all the blessings that have come my way didn't come without sacrifice and hard work. But it also came with self-work. And I had to do a lot of self, soul, like self, you know, with myself, a lot of corrections in my life because I was going down a, a really, really dark, bad path. Um, and I nipped it in the butt, you know, and I always thought, said, like, my, I think my grandmother was my guiding angel um, because I was in so many different situations that I got out of, you know, and, and most people wouldn't have gotten out of it you know, in court and everything else, like stuff I, I just, I, I can't even believe, but that's all part of my story. That's all part of my journey. And that's what brings me, you know, to where I am today. You know, I fought for everything in my life. I still do, you know, and, you know, and when I'm fighting for stuff, you know, whether it's work or whatever, um, that comes from my struggle, from what I went through. And when you combat with somebody like that, you have to explain your story a little bit to them on why you are the way you are, you know? But I've, I've learned to give up control. Like I had control issues at one point. I've learned to give that up, you know, uh, a little bit, a little bit more, a lot more though than I used to be. And I've learned forgiveness, um, you know, forgiveness is the hardest thing, I think, you know, it's, it's not easy to forgive people or forgive things, you know, but without forgiveness, you can't move on. 
You really can't. So, Corey, I mean, um, um, let me interrupt a little bit. So, um, so forgiveness, all the stuff, let's save it for the later podcast when I ask you for the tools. But right now, I want to really um, dissect a little bit about child sex abuse. You are minor. And obviously... He was you have, um, like 19 or 20. You had no idea what had happened to you. I was sexually abused from age 8 to 13 while well, my father and two uncles living together and i had no idea because they faked it as a tickling game so what did the guy say to you like this because you have no idea like did he like trick you to into like you know uh, like my case like tickling game or something you know what he did mm -hmm. he drove his car into his garage shut the garage door I didn't know that someone else was going to be in the house. And they were in like a bathroom. And I can remember the house like it was yesterday. Uh, just something you just never forget. And I remember going into the room, bedroom area. And there was like a chest on the, like near the door. And he told me to lay on the bed. So I laid in the bed that person in the other room came in and they tied me up to the bed and stripped me. He stripped me naked on the bed. And he, um, he started like, you know, playing with me and, and stuff like that and blowing me. And, and, and then um, just so you know, that was the first time. Second time was worse, but first time like that, but save me that, that day, his cousin came in the front door. It wasn't locked. Came in the bedroom and he heard her and he slammed the door really quickly. And she was kicking the door trying to get in. And um, he made, he's like, get ready now. He goes, you walk out that door. And he's like yelling all this stuff at me. So he untied me and let me go. Next time it would be that he was, me and my friend were walking home from school and he was picking us up and I was all set. And my friend's like, no, no, no. He hopped in the car. So I jumped in with him. And I remember whispering to, to him, Charlie, um, and saying like, you know, whatever you think you're gonna do to him, I said, just do it to me and let him go. I go, because like, I'm, I said, I'm strong. I said, I'm a strong, stronger than he is. And, um, that day, he ended up dropping him off. I was in the back seat, and it was a two-door car. So I couldn't get out of that back seat. My friend was in the front. He dropped him off. He put that seat back, and he flew to his house. And then the second time was the first time I ever felt like penetration or anything like that. And I remember screaming and um, not even, like, I just remember seeing black. I didn't even know what to do. I just like bit as hard as I could and um, just prayed for it to be over. And then I uh, ran out of there and like ran, just ran. And, uh, um, and I promised myself that day, I was like, I'm never, ever, ever gonna allow myself to be in that situation again. And I remember seeing, it was a, it would be the next day, uh, I saw Oprah Winfrey was on TV and 
I came home a little early and Oprah was talking about never um, let, if you're ever a victim, never let them take you to the same place twice and um, try to escape that first time. Do whatever you have to do to get out of it, but never let them get you to a second location because when they take you to that second location, it can, that can be it. And that stuck in my mind that day when I watched Oprah. I watched Oprah from that day forward anyway, by, by the way, because that was like life changing for me, just those few words. And um, I just backed away. I, I That's when I started getting involved with other things, like stuff at school and just trying to keep busy because before that, it was like the grooming period. So I was around him a lot before that, not knowing my friend was actually being molested by him at the time. And I never knew that. And then I would be the second one because they end up moving and stuff. So, um, but it happened more than once. It did happen more than once. It wasn't just twice. It was like three or four times. Um, but it was only once that he penetrated and stuff like that. Because um, I, I, I was like, no. But I, I was very overprotective of my friends and stuff too. And I was like 120 pounds wet. I like, And this guy was this big, heavy 20-year-old guy, 21-year-old guy. He was definitely 21, 22 because he could buy alcohol and stuff at the time. And I was like 14. So, and um, he could just sit on my arm and I, I couldn't move or anything. You know, he was like 250, 300 pounds, something like that. Um, so I, it was like the first experience of me getting like, you know, any like thrills, like sexual, anything was that. So I was very confused, you know? So then I started seeing like tons of girls and, uh, and I was just all over the place. I was a mess for many, many years, you know, trying to find, you know, who I was, my sexuality, you know, what's wrong with me. And I was doing it all in silence. I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I did it in silence with a smile because I didn't want anyone to know. So I put a face on. Um, teachers wouldn't know. Nobody would know. Uh, anything was ever going wrong. You know, and I would let that guy pick me up from school or whatever because I was always afraid he was going to hurt like one of my friends and stuff. And I didn't want my friends being in the car with him with him and again at the time not realizing individually he was actually doing that he was getting through me to get to my friends too you know and you know some of a few of my friends one of my friends committed suicide um a few years later um i had actually a few friends suicide um a few friends went to drugs heavy drugs um, one of them never recovered from that, lost his marriage and everything, and still off and on, you know, and still battles everything. He sees with tons of, tons of women and stuff like that, and it's like, you know, and, but he gets no satisfaction. He gets no, you know, he's very cold, and he wasn't like that growing up. It's because he never dealt with it, doesn't believe in psychiatry, doesn't believe in help, doesn't want to do self-corrections. You know, and I can't do it for him. I told him already. Like, I can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. I said, my journey is my journey, and, and my truth's my truth. And um, it was a very hard time for me. You know, I barely, barely was making it through school. Um, everything started, like, slipping, you know, uh, during that. 
during that awful time. And then I would, I actually would bump into that, that guy. I would bump into him at um, Burger King parking lot in Bridgewater. And this would be the last time I ever saw him. Never touched me or anything like that. He just, that was the day he told me he was moving to Maine. And then I would find out it was like literally a week later about that little boy and what happened to him. So I would see him and then that happened. And then I was like, you know, I just was in shock and stuff. Like, how could someone do something like that? And then I thought that could have been me. You know, that could have been me. Like, you know, I was in his car. He'd take me to Boston at 14 years old. And I was like dragging butt in school because I was so tired. You know, that would be like the only sign. But even then I picked myself up and I just studied and just did the best I could, you know, to make sure no one found out. You know, I was going to proms and I was still doing all the stuff that every kid did. And, uh, but I always knew, I knew that I was a strong, I'm just, I was just, I, that, you know, whatever doesn't break you makes you stronger. I knew I was strong, like then I knew I could make it through anything. And that's why I went that day when I was in the car and I whispered him, like, you know, whatever you're going to do, do to me, don't do to him. Cause I knew that my friend who was next, like in the front was not strong enough to make it through that, you know, not knowing that he was about to go through that. Well, I my heart completely breaks for you. As a survivor of child sex abuse, I could not even say it to anybody or to understand what it is until like very recently. Um, I published my book when I was writing the part that I was getting sexually abused, like the details that you mentioned in my book. I was literally typing and crying and starting to shake and everything because you can't remember it like it's happening to you right now. And in my nightmares, like so many times that the same scene comes back to my nightmares and stuff. Yeah, and I get I, those flashbacks too. Yes, always. And also I want to mention and share it with you and our audience, the town of Foxborough that I live right now had suffered child sex abuse in a big time. There was a guy named Bill Sheehan. He died uh, from Alzheimer three years ago, but in the 80s, he molested a lot of boys. And he was a scoutmaster, teacher, and there was a documentary that's made um, about him. And unfortunately, the people didn't come forward until later on when he already had Alzheimer's, but he moved from Foxborough to Florida and arrested more boys there. If you Google Bill Sheehan, a lot of articles come out. So it, there was no justice, but then there was a um, swim team house where um, he was architect, made his office connected to the boys' bathroom, and he was just sexually abusing a lot of people. So anyways, um, we learned as a town that we have child sex abuse awareness committee that meet um, once a month to train people with darkness to light to prevent the child sex abuse as well. So I just want to share that with you. I feel, I, I, I know that there was a statistics that each perpetrator at least carries five or six victims. 
So one person, like it's just the tip of iceberg could be doing it to so many, like you found out. And then I'm so sorry that it happened to you and your friends. And as opening up this space to talk about child sex abuse, as hard as it is, it's not just the moment that you were molested as a child, but the aftermath of not being addressed, not being able to speak out, not being believed, that killed me the most. So it's usually second or third shock waves that kills us, that makes us like completely broken. And I'm so grateful that you came forward to this podcast and described about what happened to you. And I'm really grateful that we are able to stand here strong. You and I, like, were born in a completely different country. But we went through the same adversity, which is child sex abuse, which is unacceptable. But then I was talking to my attorney friend recently, what would happen if the father sexually abused two daughters? And he said, life in prison, like state prison here in this country. But I have no idea what kind of right we have in Japan, but it was incest never talked about, Me Too movement, never talked about um no understanding or whatsoever so how was it in america i know you mentioned it's like 90s like when you came out to people about child sex abuse were they supportive were they not believing you like i know you were trying to silence it but when you did come out and then start to share how was the response from the people I only came out to some friends. I never came out to family. Um, and the response was like um, emotional, I guess. And and some of them, some of my friends couldn't understand it because they never went through it. And some went through it and I never even knew that they went through it. And they told their stories, you know, and I have a few friends, you know, that were, went through stuff like that. that got raped and molested and and stuff so it opened up a conversation is what it did and it let them tell their story to me and uh, let me share my a little piece of mine because guys like i said don't normally share um they usually keep it in a big percentage of them keep it in um you know and then that's when like when i went out with my friends that day at the bar and i you know we brought it up uh i was very surprised that day to find out that, you know, they were all went through the same thing and not one of them ever talked about it. It you know? just scares me and it kills me inside because this is so wrong, Corey, because like they should be the perpetrator. The violator should be silenced, not us. Like I say in my book, there was a, a chapter seven, which is called My Message. Mm-hmm. And one message is for perpetrator. One is for victim. One is for friends and families around the victims. And I say it loud in my book that we should not be silenced. The people who violate us should be silenced and should be embarrassed, should be shamed, and should be 
you know, just, you know, sentenced to the justice. And it's just like crazy. Why, why do we have to be so ashamed and have anxiety and depression instead of them? Like yeah, they took it away from us. They took away a piece of our soul, you know, and left us, you know, they, they think they left you broken, broken, you know, but really what that does is it completes your soul and makes you stronger, more determined, you know, and, but we shouldn't have had to go through that to get that. Cause I think either way we would have had that just, we had to work or I had to work, you know, that much harder because of that situation where if that situation never happened, I think my life would have been different and I would have started earlier on, earlier than later, but I had to go through all that other stuff in my life, you know, uh, and I started a little later because of it, you know, um, my dog, sorry. <laughs> um, Hi. <laughs> he's trying to kiss me. Like, <laughs> hey, doggy. What's his name? Cujo. <laughs> Cute. So, um, um, I really thank you for sharing it. Um, let's move on to my next question, which is the tools, which you kind of shared and mentioned. But I really like this part of the podcast because every guest who came on the show um, had very unique, tangible techniques and tools that they combat their adversities, and they shared it in the podcast. And I'm so grateful. So, Corey, what would you say the tools that you mentioned a little bit, but the top one that truly worked for you to overcome your adversity? I think it was like. My, my strength, I had to get strength, like, no one ever knows what they want to do, right, when they get older or whatever, and I battled a lot of that because of everything that I went through, it's like, I want to be a veterinarian, I want to do this, like, oh, I love animals, so I want to do this, you know, and then I was like, oh, but, you know, but I'm strong, I want to be like a salesperson, and I want to be in charge, and I want to, um, you know, be president of a company, say, or something like that, right, of the sales department and stuff and going through all of the stuff that I went through, I realized that I want, as I, I realized first, I'd be very good at selling seals. I have a good personality and this and that. Um, I got a lot of people discourage me um, across the way telling me like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but I always fall. I followed my heart. I followed my heart. I fought for it. I, you know, um, I really fought for it. And um, and then I still fight. You know, you, you're always going to uh, like fight for what you believe in, right? And I believe, like, when you give is what you get in return. So part of that process is, you know, helping others. Uh, you know, but I probably wouldn't have... Um, made it as far as I have, honestly, have I not went through all the stuff I went through because I would have probably, you know, messed around more, messed off more as a younger age instead of being more focused. So it did make you grow up quicker, you know, and like that does make you grow up quicker. You started younger than me, it happened to you younger than me, 
Um, and unfortunately, you know, you lose a piece of your youth. You lose a piece of your life right there. And, you know, and you can't get it back. Once you lose it, it's gone. You know, um, as an adult, I have just nicer toys now, you know, that I couldn't have back then. Um, I do live like a private life. I believe when you invite people to your home, you invite them to your life. Um, so only true chosen people like I invite or, you know, allowed um, in my home because of that. And that probably comes from my past too, you know, because, you know, I'm too nervous of, you know, you know, you, you're I'm a trusting person, but you learn kind of like, you have to be careful who you trust too, you know, and it, that's scary water to tread, you know, like not being able to trust, like, you know, people and you want to trust and stuff, you know, but I trust my gut. I trust my instincts uh, that I make the right decisions. And, you know, and I have like, you know, I'm thankful for the job I had previous to this job, you know, previous to that one and the one I have now, you know, I'm thankful every single day you know, and I go to work happy every day. I love what I do. Um, that's important. And, you know, and I have good days and bad days like everyone else. That, Like I said, I can get to a good face. Uh, no one ever know it because I leave all that junk at the door. I go in, do my job, do it well. And then if I decide to pick it up on the way out, I pick it up. Usually I just... Not, it won't matter a day, a week, a month from now, whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is. You know, I think we're all human. We're all work in progresses. And uh, all of us need to do like self-corrections. And that's a daily thing, like every day, you know. Um, everyone needs to do that in their life. You know, everyone needs to reflect, whether you meditate or uh, yoga, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, everyone has a thing, you know. Um, master that one thing and then you move on you know I became a really successful like business person because of the strength uh, within myself and I believe like that strength is actually what got me through um, all that adversity in my past uh, because honestly if I was like a broken uh, person no strength like I said I was very shy at the time too I was like this 120 um, like little boy you know, and, you you know, you do something like that. Like, I was broken, 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 and broke, you know, and you think of that. And then I, you know, but in my heart, I always knew I was going to make it. I always knew I was going to get through it. Uh, I didn't know how, I didn't know when, but I knew when that time was uh, coming up, uh, you know, I would be ready for it. You know, you have to be ready for it. You can't let your past define who you are. You just can't. Um, you just you have to have goals and you have to have work towards things for things, you know. And that really keeps the hope, you know. You know that you still want things because if you stop wanting things, then you've given up. You checked out. As far as I'm concerned, you, you know, no one wants to check out. Everyone has that want, even if they say they don't. Everyone has it. Everyone wants something. Everyone, uh, you know, wants to work towards something. You know, it's just part of the circle of life, right? Thank you so much for sharing that, Corey. 
And um, recently, I learned this really awesome um, card. It's a DBT deck. I got it on Amazon. Was recommended. It's direct uh, directical behavioral therapy. So it has like hundred one cards inside like this to have different tools that you you can use. Oh, I like that. So random card that you pick, and then there are some wisdoms and that you can use to be present because a lot of combat we have is a panic attack and depression and going back to the flashback stage where we can't function well in the day. So I feel by, sorry, I feel by doing these exercises and having these toolboxes that we can apply every day, like you said, you know, you fight for it, you fight and then yeah, and I still go through depression. I'm sure you do too, but I still get anxiety, you know. And sometimes it triggers at work. Sometimes it just triggers from nowhere, and I get depressed. I when I get depressed, I like literally lock myself up in my house. Like no one will hear from me, see me, because I just need to be myself, you know. And that's very important. So I try to like turn it into a little bit of a positive. That it's like my body's telling me, like you know, you need to like take some time for yourself. You know, uh, yes, it comes and goes, you know, but I try to stay, you know, as positive, as motivated as I can in my everyday life. Yes. And recently I learned this awesome technique. It's uh, five, four, three, two, one. So five things, you list five things that you can hear first. And then you list four things that you can see right now. And then you list three things you can touch. And you say it out, out loud. And then two things that you can smell. And then one thing you can taste. Oh, but you really? just like, say you just say it like out loud. So I did it with my son. Uh-huh. So we identified my daughter too. We identify what 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 are the five things that we hear, like a car, like noise, blah blah blah. And then when we got to number one, which is what what's the one thing that you can taste? And then my son just like licked his hand and I I just tasted my hand. So it was really? funny. But it grounded us in a way that's the kind of funny, silly exercise. But the DBT, the method is directive behavior therapy is, you know, even your mind works to a place where I was sexually abused vividly. And then just go down the spiral of depression and a panic attack. But to pick that thought up and then to bring your mind to a present moment, sometimes you can just say your name, say your birthday, what day right now it is, and what time and where you are. And that itself can help too a lot. I like that. Mm. I, like, so I, I love stuff like that. DBT, right? Yeah, DBT. So I just wanted to share with you and it was an audience. So Corey, my last question is a gift that came from your adversity. So what would you say to our audience? What's the gift that came from your adversity? The gift? Oh my God, so many. Um, I guess... You know, my gift would be 
my health. I'm alive. Uh, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't know. I've, I look at, like, a lot of things like luxuries and stuff. So I don't know what my gift would be. I feel blessed. Uh, I just feel blessed in general for everything. Uh, all the gifts that have come my way across the way, really, you know. Um, you know, I dreamed big. Uh, never dreamed as big as this, but I, I dreamed big. And um, I'm thankful for, I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful every day. I really am truly thankful every day for people I meet and places I go and things, you know, I just thankful. I'm thankful I'm able to travel and, and do the things I want to do. You know, it was, it was a long, hard road, um, you know, for me. And I'm just thankful that I, I was able to, to, to get to where I am today. Well, thank you very much, Corey. My last request from you. If anyone is going through what you went through, especially child sex abuse, what is your biggest advice that you can give it to that person? Don't ever give up hope. Always know in your heart, in your mind, that you're going to be okay. That's really important because I would say that to myself all the time. Like, always just know that you're going to be okay and that anything you're going through is just temporary. And, you know, get out of the situation as quick as you can, honestly, and don't go back. Don't go backwards, go forward. You know, the sky is truly the limit. You're in, a, you know, you're in a good place in this world where you can make, you know, anything impossible possible, you know, but it's up to you to, to do that. Um, and it's up to your people around you to support it. But just don't give up hope. You know, keep keep fighting for for what you want and what you believe in, and get out of the situation. Like I said. Well, thank you so much for coming to a gift from adversity, and this was episode one hundred two. Thank you so much, Corey. Again. Thank you so much, Jerry. See you soon. Wonderful.